Um, will you guys just give it up? We've also got the men from God Behind Bars who are watching with us. Will you guys just give it up for them? We're so grateful that they're with us today. We're in this series called Wreck the Halls, and it's Christmas time, and at Christmas time, we look around, and you see all the decorations, and everything looks so perfect. We've got decorations at all of our campuses, and a lot of times, we'll see like a nativity scene, and the nativity scene has like Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus, and it all looks perfect, and it all looks cute, and it all looks just, just great, but if that's all that we see, we're actually missing out, because Jesus, when that baby Jesus grows up, his life wasn't cute, his life wasn't perfect, Jesus actually grows up and he wrecks shop. Jesus wrecks the halls, and what we mean by that is this, he takes our expectations of what we wanted in a Messiah, what we wanted in a Savior, and he breaks them down so that he can exceed our expectations, and that's good news for all of us, and today we're going to look at how Jesus wrecked society, that's today's topic, and before you're like, Jesse, that doesn't sound like a good thing, I just want to tell you, hang on with us, because if you stick with it, we're going to realize that Jesus wrecked society, but it's actually for our benefit, and I think this is something that we can all agree with. I think no matter if you've been growing up in church your whole life, or you don't even, you don't believe in Jesus at all, you could agree with this statement right here. I think our society is more fractured today than it has been in a really, really long time. I think that we could all agree with that. And I believe that one of the reasons for that is we're really good at labeling each other. I mean, let me explain, okay? This may be the first time in history where we have certain news stations that are dedicated to choosing sides, okay? Like, and you've seen this. I don't know if this has ever happened before, but like, chances are if you voted Republican, and we're not going to raise hands or anything like that in here, okay? But if you vote Republican, you watch one news station, okay? And if you vote Democrat, you watch another news station. And if you vote Independent, I don't know what you guys are watching, like PBS or Nickelodeon, I, I don't really know, okay? Um, I'm not sure what, what's going on there. And then if you look at social media and the way we talk to people on social media, you've seen this. We don't dialogue anymore. We just like shout across the aisle at people who have different opinions than us. You've seen examples of this, like somebody on social media, they'll say something like, these lazy millennials. Have you seen this? Uh, they're, they're like, these lazy... They, they, they don't want to work hard. They just want to work from home. They want to wear flip-flops to the office. I mean, I can't believe it. Who raised this generation? Oh, man. Okay. And do, you, do you know how the millennials respond? They say, okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. I don't know if you've seen this. If you haven't seen it, just go online and look at it. And this whole millennial and boomer argument thing, it just cracks me up because it's actually like a bad argument because like both sides just want the other side to like, I just want you to understand me a little bit more. I just want you to see things from my perspective. But instead, it actually looks like this. The boomer says to the millennial, shut up because you're a certain age. And then the millennial says right back to the boomer, no, you shut up because you're a certain age. And it just seems like we're watching our kids argue a little bit where one kid says, uh-huh, and the other goes, uh-uh, uh-huh. And, and here's the thing, I'm a millennial, so I'm right in the middle of this. There's no judgment here. And we label ourselves by our sports teams, okay? Like, I see your jerseys this morning, like, I'm a Broncos fan, all right? I'm believing we'll win another Super Bowl. And, 2050, okay, you know, it, it might take a little while. Or you might say like, I'm, I'm a Raiders fan. I have, I have no soul, okay? Uh, <laughs> you guys knew that was coming, you knew. 
And you can take just about anything that people have an opinion on and you can come up with a label, okay? You could find a label for like a health food nut or a fast food junkie. You've got hippie or sold out to the man. You've got gay, you got straight, whatever that is, we got labels for everything. And I'm not throwing stones because like we do this in church world too, all right? Like you've got like Lutherans and Baptists and Pentecostals and Protestants and Catholics and you got the people with tattoos who love Jesus and rock and roll, okay? That, that's our official denomination, if you guys were, were wondering, okay? That's flat irons. And so we take on these labels and we label other people who are different than us. And, and sometimes that's not a bad thing at all, but at the same time, I think so many times we'll take our labels as a way to put somebody else that we disagree with, we just put them over there. And over there, we don't have to deal with them, we don't have to think about them, we don't have to empathize with them, we don't have to care about them. And, and here's when you know that you're labeling someone. Anytime that you say the phrase, well, they're just a, uh, and then you fill in the blank, chances are that you're labeling someone. What we do is we take all of our negative connotations about what somebody with that label is like and we put it on that person. And that way we don't have to think about it anymore because they're just a fill in the blank. And we label people because if I can label you, I can redefine you into something different than what God says is true about you. When I've redefined you, I can think whatever I want about you, I can say whatever I want about you, I can feel whatever I want about you, I can do whatever I want to you because you're just a fill in the blank. And we use these labels as ways to create sides where it's us versus them. And if we keep on doing this, if we keep on writing people off because they're just liberals or they're just boomers or they're just homophobes, eventually we're gonna close ourselves off to everybody outside of our own little tribe and our own little tribe ends up looking a lot like us. A couple years ago, Facebook created this unfollow feature. Do you guys know this, this feature? Okay. Uh, I can unfollow people on Facebook, but we can still be friends. I just don't ever have to see them ever again. That's true friendship right there. Okay. That's true friendship. And what happened is when they created this feature is there were people in my newsfeed that I just got, I started to get annoyed with what they were posting and they had different viewpoints than I did. So I just unfollowed them. And what ended up happening was my newsfeed started looking a lot like me, and the people in it looked a lot like me, people who thought like me, who talked like me, and viewed the world the same way that I did. It was an echo chamber. And I think we can all agree labels have affected our society. We can all see that. But at the same time, they've actually affected us personally too. And today we're gonna see how Jesus interacts with the labels we give each other. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into a world very, very similar to ours, where they would create these different categories of people. They'd put people in boxes. So you're like a Jew or you're a Gentile. You're a slave or you're free. You're rich or you're poor. You're a sinner or you're religious. And they had these boxes that they would put people in. And in their world, anybody who was like them was in and anybody who was different was out. This is a world that chose sides. And what we find with Jesus is Jesus always rises above the lines that we draw for each other. And today we're gonna look at a story in one of the gospels. This is one of the biographies of Jesus and it's in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter five, if you have your Bibles, we have free Bibles available in the back at every one of our campuses. 
We're gonna see what Jesus does when he encounters people who have been labeling each other for a long time. Jesus is gonna show us a new way. So let's pick it up in Mark chapter five, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, Jairus fell at Jesus's feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So we've got Jairus, and Jairus has the label religious leader, okay? He's in this religious leader box. And these are the people that we think that Jesus should have been spending his time with. And we still kind of think this. We still think that Jesus would, if Jesus were here today, he'd spend his time with pastors, not with people like me. He'd spend his time at church, not at the place I work. He'd spend his time with people who, they, they haven't made the mistakes that I have. He'd spend time with people who are perfect. And Jesus is about to wreck that. Because up until this point, the religious leaders, they've hated Jesus because Jesus had been proclaiming good news to the poor. But religious leaders had been teaching that the reason that you're poor was because of something wrong that you did and you're not blessed by God. That's why you're poor. So you're in the poor box. Jesus had been forgiven sins, but the religious leader said he didn't have the authority to do that. And he'd been healing the sick. But the religious leaders taught that if you were sick, it was because of some sin in your life. That's the reason you were sinned. It was your fault. And so you go in the sick box and they were critical of how Jesus healed the sick until one of them needed help. And then everything changed. And for one of the religious leaders to come up to Jesus, to fall at his feet, this is a moment that nobody thought would happen. This is the teenager admitting that mom and dad are right. This is the husband asking for directions. Uh, this is the wife who's ready for church on time, okay? This is, oh, did the, don't just look straight ahead, okay? Don't look. So this is something that nobody thought would happen, and this is Jesus' big opportunity because this is somebody else stepping across the aisle, getting out of their box. Someone from the religious leaders is finally legitimatizing Jesus' ministry, the followers of Jesus, they realize how big this is because Jesus is finally in with the right crowd. So verse 24, and Jesus went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Crowds, they typically follow Jesus, but especially a moment like this because the son of God is about to do cool God stuff for a godly religious leader and they've just all got to see it. But that's not the full story. Verse 25 says, and there was a woman in the crowd, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and she'd spent all that she had. But she was no better, but rather she grew worse. And this woman, she had an issue where she was constantly bleeding, and have, having a disease like that, it made a person unclean. And so she's wearing this label, unclean. And this is something that we gotta take a time out and just talk about because it's not something that we really have a great comparison for in our culture. But 2,000 years ago in Hebrew culture, you would become unclean for doing uh, numerous things. An example would be if you touch a dead body, you would become unclean. Or you eat the wrong food, you become unclean. Or if you have a disease like this woman, you become unclean. And if you're unclean, you can't go to the temple to worship. AKA, you can't be connected to God unless, until you take a ceremonial bath 
and then you become clean again. But if you're perpetually diseased like this woman, you would be perpetually unclean. And if you're perpetually unclean and you touch someone else, then they become unclean. And if somebody unclean touches somebody like a prophet or a teacher or a healer, that person then would lose their connection with God. They'd lose their ability to heal. And here we see Jesus who's on his way to the biggest healing of his ministry so far. And this woman, she's not supposed to be in the crowd. She's actually not allowed by law to be in the crowd. If she was gonna be anywhere near the crowd, she was required by law to shout out, unclean, 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 so that everybody around her knew an unclean person was around and they could avoid her so they could avoid becoming unclean themselves. When anybody looked at her, that's all that they'd see, unclean. Think about this. Your whole life, you're told you're unclean. There's something wrong with you. You spend all your money on doctors, you try to fix it, try to fix the disease, but nothing works. And so you think there just must be something wrong with me. And you felt like that. We felt like that. We prayed that prayer. God, is there something wrong with me? And then because of the disease, you can never get married. Or if you were married, your husband left you. There's something wrong with me. Because of the disease, you can't have children. And 2,000 years ago, being a mother was like, that is what every woman in Hebrew culture 2,000 years ago wanted was just to be a mom. And that was impossible for her because of the disease. There's something wrong with you. I know some of us have prayed that prayer too. There's something wrong with me. And this woman thinks I am unclean. And the label that other people have given her becomes her label for herself. I'm unclean. <clears throat> this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but doesn't happen today. This is something that happens today right now, and right now some of our stomachs just dropped out because this is exactly what happened to us. It's the sun who made the mistake at home. And his dad just got angry in a moment of frustration. He goes, why do you have to be so stupid? And then the son's in school, but math just doesn't come easy to him. And the kids make fun of him and they joke about how he's the dumb one in the class. And it doesn't take long before he takes the label that they've given him and he puts that label on himself. I'm just stupid. And even as a grown man now, when he's dealing with a difficult situation at work, he doesn't believe that he's gonna be able to figure it out because he's just stupid. And when he and his girlfriend are having an argument and she says something dismissive to him, he just blows up because that whole box of stupid that's been tucked away finally comes out. She wasn't meaning to make him feel stupid, but in the moment, that's all that he can feel. He feels stupid, and he's been wearing that label for a long, long time. It's the daughter whose dad left, and all throughout her childhood, she just wished that her dad would just come home. And when he didn't, she just reasoned 
that her dad would have come home if she was worth coming home to. She just must, there must be something wrong with her. Otherwise, dad would have come home. And so she takes this label and she puts it on herself and she feels worthless. And then she's in high school. She meets this guy and this guy makes her feel special and makes her feel important. And she finally doesn't feel worthless anymore. And they sleep together and then he leaves and he doesn't even talk to her anymore. And again, she feels worthless. And now every time that somebody else gets a promotion, anytime her husband doesn't pick up the phone, anytime her friends don't invite her to the party, all of these feelings come back up and she feels worthless. And she's been wearing that label for a long, long time. Or maybe it's the kid who got bullied at school when he was young. And after all the the other kids had left, he just sat alone in the locker room. Nobody needed to tell him. He knew what they were thinking. I guess I'm just weak. And as he played sports, as he was growing up, his dad would shout at him, come on, son, you can do it. You can do it. No matter how hard he ran, no matter how hard he worked, he just wasn't fast enough. He just, he just wasn't strong enough. He couldn't do it. And he, he didn't need his dad to say anything. He could just see it in his eyes. My dad thinks I'm weak. And he takes that weak label and he puts it on himself. And today, he's got a family of his own, but you won't see him with his family that much because he's out there trying to prove to everybody that he has what it takes. That he has what it takes. And when somebody else outperforms him, finally, he feels the deepest sense of shame because just like when he was young, it makes him feel weak and he's been wearing that label for a long time long time. Or maybe you feel, maybe you apply for job after job, but nobody calls you back and you feel unwanted. You've been wearing that label for a long time. Or maybe it's different. Maybe at home, you're, you're trying as hard as you can at home, at, at work with your family, but it's just never enough. And nobody needs to tell you that voice inside your head tells you, you just, you're not enough. And you've been wearing that label for a long, long time. And all of us, we wear these labels. Not all of these, but maybe they're different. But we wear labels and nobody sees them. We don't want anybody else to see them. These are the messages that we took on from someone else, from what they said or from what they didn't say. And these labels have defined us. And when we we walk into our homes, when we walk into work, when we walk into a party, We feel like these labels are like declaring their presence before us. Not enough, stupid, worthless, unclean, unclean. And we carry around these labels and we feel so much shame and so much insecurity. And then out of our own brokenness, we start to label other people because just for a little while, it feels good to not be like them, to not be as bad as they are. And we label others and we take on their labels for us and we perpetuate this cycle of shame and suspicion and we wonder why our world feels so divided. But Jesus is gonna show us a better way. I just wanna read this next section and then we'll break it down together. It starts in verse 27. This woman had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and just touched his garment. 
For she said, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving that in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples, they, they looked at him and they said, you see this crowd pressing against you, yet you say, who touched me? Jesus, there's so many people around. How are you gonna find the person who touched you? There are tons of people touching you. But he still looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Here's what's so interesting about this. At at first glance, we think this story is all about healing. We think the interaction is all about healing. She's sick, so she seeks Jesus out. And I don't know how it happens, how it works, but she just touches Jesus' clothes and she becomes better. And we could have just left it at that. We didn't need to do anything else than that because the woman is now healed. But Jesus knows that this woman needs more than that. She needs more than a physical healing because even though she might be healed, she has still been listening to these messages and wearing these labels for the last 12 years. What Jesus says is he says, hey, in my kingdom, there are no unclean people. That might be what people said that you were, but that is not who you are. And Jesus looks at this woman who for most of her life has called herself unclean. And what's the first word that Jesus says to her? daughter. He says, daughter, people labeled you unclean. You label yourself unclean. You feel unclean, but I call you daughter. You are not the label that you've taken on. You are a son or you are a daughter of God. And some of you right here, right now, you need to hear this. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see your label. He sees a son and he sees a daughter and Jesus sees the story behind the label. Jesus didn't see unclean. He saw a woman who wanted a new label. He saw a woman who wanted to be loved. She wanted to be wanted. She wanted to be clean. She wanted to be a daughter. He saw this woman who, when she was growing up, she had all these hopes and dreams for her future. And then she collapsed when she realized that this disease was gonna rob her from all of that. He saw a woman who spent the last 12 years ostracized from all the people in her life that she loved. He saw a woman who heard the word unclean so many times that she had finally taken it on as true about her. That was her identity. But he saw a woman who was still holding on with faith that God loved her and God wanted what was best for her. He didn't see unclean, he saw a daughter. See, Jesus knows this woman has a name. This woman has a story. And how does Jesus do that so well? You might say, well, because Jesus is God, okay? And he, because he's God, he knows things. And that's true. But if we just stop there, I think that we're missing out. Because I believe that, that it probably started, Jesus being able to empathize with us, it probably started when he was, I don't know, five or six years old. Because he started to realize that people in his hometown treated his mom differently than they treated all the other moms in his hometown, because you've known this story, if you've heard the Christmas story before, Mary got pregnant with the Son of God before she was married. 
And it, that might not be a, a big deal. Getting pregnant before you're married might not be a big deal in our culture today, but back then that stigma would follow you around for the rest of your life. And so Jesus would have to watch as his mom, as Mary, would be excluded from social events just because of her story. He'd have to watch as she would walk over to a group of women only to see them scatter before she could get there. He'd hear the jokes that the boys told about his mom and how she got pregnant before she was married. He would watch her carry the shame that was associated with that. He would see her at home in tears, sobbing, because just for once, she just wanted to be normal. The whole town saw her label, but Jesus saw her story. And he watched that story play out for 30 years. In the rest of his life, anytime Jesus encounters people, he sees the story behind their label. So others see sinners, Jesus sees future leaders. Others see throwaway people, but Jesus sees people who belong in God's kingdom. Others see a thief who deserves his place on the cross, Jesus sees a friend. Others see an unclean woman, Jesus sees a daughter. Jesus sees the story behind the label which wrecks society as we currently know it, and that is such a good thing for us. Because Jesus takes every label that you or I had and he puts them on himself and then he puts those labels to death on a cross. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see labels. He sees our names. He knows our stories and he sees sons and he sees daughters. Galatians puts it this way. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus, aka there are no labels in my kingdom. And so what do we do with this? And how do we apply it? I wanna give you two ways that you can respond. And the first is this, we just need to believe that Jesus sees the story behind our labels. Jesus sees the story behind your label because some of us, we've been carrying around these labels for a long time, so long that they feel like they've just, they've always been a part of us. And these labels that people have given us that we've now accepted as true about us, these labels, they feel true. But at the same time, there's something that we need to remember about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, your feelings are real, but that does not mean that they're true. You may feel weak, but Jesus says, when you're weak, I'm strong. You may feel worthless, but Jesus says, you were worth dying for. You may feel stupid, but Jesus says, I'll renew your mind. You may feel unwanted. Jesus says, I have chosen you. You feel not enough. I'm enough for you. You feel unclean. I call you daughter instead. Just because your label feels true doesn't mean that it is true. God sees through the label that you've taken on and he sees you. He sees his son. He sees his daughter he doesn't see not enough, he sees Jesus and he put those other labels to death on a cross. And for some of us, that is what God needed us to hear today. That's what we needed to hear today. 
And I just want you to let that sink in. If that's true for you right now, I don't want you to listen to the last part of this message. I just want you to sit and remember what's true about you. But for those of us in the room who can believe that Jesus sees the story behind our labels, because of that, now us, here's the second way we can respond. Now we look for the story behind the label. You see, society won't change with new policies, new politics, new politicians. We know that. Society will change when a group of people remove the labels and start treating people that we've labeled as people with stories. As Jim's been back in the office, he's been sharing some of the things that he's learned over sabbatical with our staff. And I know he's gonna share those with our whole church over the next couple months. But one of the things that he's shared is uh, something that his mentor James has been teaching him. And it's to ask two questions when you look at people. And the two questions are, are these. What does Jesus think about that person? What does Jesus think about that person and what does Jesus want for that person? What does Jesus think about them? What does Jesus want for them? The answer always comes down to some version of he loves them and he wants good for them. So let's play this out, okay? It's, it's not just another person who cut you off in traffic. I don't know if you're like me, but for me, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, it's like a trigger, okay? It's like I immediately need to honk the horn or ride their tail or give them a physical demonstration of my frustration, okay? I've got to just do, do something. But what if we just thought for a second, the person in that car has a name and the person in that car has a story? And I don't know. We don't know what's going on there, but... What if they were at the grocery store and they're picking up groceries because they're about to spend a week in the hospital with their child who just had surgery and when they cut you off in traffic, they weren't being entitled, they weren't being rude, they weren't being careless. They just literally could not think of anything other than getting back to their child who is in the hospital. That person has a name. They have a story. What would Jesus want for them? How does Jesus see them? Or another example, it's just another homeless guy. And I don't know if you're like me, but it's like I'll try to avoid them or I'll just get frustrated because I'm like, why wouldn't they just spend the time they're asking for money and use that time to go get a job? But what if we thought that man has a name, that man, he has a story. And what if one time he had a home and he had a job and he had a wife, but his wife got sick and then his wife died. And no matter what he tried to do, he just he just couldn't move on when she passed away and he had a breakdown and he lost his wife. And then he lost his job and then he lost his house and now he's living on the street doing the best that he can. That man, he has a name. That man has a story. And how does Jesus see him? What does Jesus want for him? Last one. It's just my in-laws being the way that they are. You guys thought I was gonna let you off easy with this last one. I, I, for some of us, this will make all the difference this Christmas because when your family gets together, all it takes is one spark and it ignites the fire. But what if for you, when your family descends on your house for Christmas or you go visit your family what if you just took a little time to think about what every person in your family was walking through right now? What are they going through? What's their story? How does Jesus see them? 
What does Jesus want for them? Because if we don't think about their story, then they're just the weird uncle. Okay, they're just the judgmental mother-in-law. They're just the self-centered sister. But if we remember, they're people, and they're with stories, and they're not perfect, but neither are we. Maybe the holidays could be different if just one person went first and responded with grace. And how are we able to do that? Because that's what Jesus did for us. As we close up, Today, that, that right there is the hope of Christmas. The hope of Christmas isn't that Jesus came down to live in a manger and when he grew up, he'd spend all of his time with religious people who did everything perfectly. The hope of Christmas is that Jesus was born in a manger so that he could know what it feels like to be lonely and to be unwanted, to feel betrayed and abandoned and forsaken so that he could look at you and he could tell you, I know that you feel that way. I've felt that way. But it's not the truth. The hope of Christmas is that God came to live with us and to take all the labels we've had for ourselves and to put them on his own chest so that he could put them to death once and for all. I'm gonna close by reading a scripture about how he does that. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, for we do not have a high priest, that would be Jesus, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. So that means that he had every label slapped on his chest, yet he was without sin. That means that he knew that these labels, they didn't tell the truth. So let us, As a church, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence because the king of kings calls us his sons and his daughters so that we may receive the mercy that we need and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're You were willing to send your son and you were willing to come live among us and put these labels on your chest to feel what it feels like. God, for so many of us in this room right now, we've taken on labels. God, in this time of worship, I pray that you would remind us these labels, they are not the truth about us. What you say about us is the truth. And then, God, for the people that we've labeled, God, will you help us just tear down the walls in between us and others? And God, we can do that because of the walls that you've torn down for us. God, we are grateful that we don't wear our labels anymore and you see us as sons and as daughters and God, you love us. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that the only way that that was possible is through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray and we worship, amen.